I want to buy a, a paper tuner. Yeah. Do some bear yeah. shaft. Bear shaft tuning. Should be bear shafting all night in my garage. <laughs> what you doing out there? Bear shafting with who? Pretty easy to make. I just gotta get some. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50-pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer, and that's since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com yeah we're back hey on our podcast episode 130 mm-hmm. it keeps us in line just grinding dude i know it is grinding. june 1st we are out of May. May is like a slump, like, month We're from the deer hunting We're mindset. coming out of it. It was a little stagnant there for a while. I tell you what, if we get some rain, <sighs> I'm going to be like a soybean on a... Ooh, we are dry. <laughs> uh, we are dry at this point. Is there any rain in the forecast? At this uh, point? I was looking because I also have beans. <sighs> I'm going to be like a freshly There's inoculated like bean stout. Maybe, <laughs> maybe two hundredths. <laughs> Of an inch on Tuesday, and then maybe five hundredths on the tenth, ten days from now. Wow! Uh, so it hasn't rained in what a week and a half. Oh, it's dry. Yeah, I mean we're on a we're looking at a twenty day dry streak here. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean there's no rain. I've got a couple like low percentage, like it starts hovering in that thirteen to. Yeah, that ain't gonna cut it. Yeah, no, it's it not. does look like maybe. Going into the 11th or 12th, we're going to get a front. But, I mean, that'll be 20-some days of no rain. 20 days. That's going to hurt antler growth this year, I bet. It will. I mean, crops are going to be behind. Well, and it's kind of one of those things. It's like, where are you in it? Um, You know, corn's already in the ground. For most people, beans are in the ground. You and I both have kind of held off here uh, on the bean aspect. Corn does all right without rain for a while, right? Yeah, it'll be fine. Hot and sunny is probably Yeah, fine. it'll be fine. Humid. I mean, people underestimate it. Yeah, we I, did get a real good rain. The last time it rained, it was two days straight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, in fact, uh, Sunday, last Sunday, I was in Kentucky for Memorial Day weekend. We got an all-day rain in Kentucky, which is where I have corn as well. Yeah. So, like, I'm not worried about funny, that. We're all talking about different fork. I'm looking at Summitville. You're looking at your I match. got like three states I'm looking at. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, but I, across the board, it's been, it's been dry. Um, so, yeah, I mean, let's say 10 more days. Yeah. You're, you know, most of these places you're looking at 20 to 30 days of, of no to little rain. Um, and that will, corn will, will make it, your beans are going to be hurting. Like if you got beans in like right before this shut off and you go 20 days without rain, you're thirsty. Yeah. That's not, that's not good. Um, yeah. I, so I told you before we started here, I'm getting, uh, Pete is the whatever ODNR DCNR guy called yep. me. So I'm I'm renting a no-till drill from him, mm-hmm. and uh, they just kind of go from uh, person to person, just jump, R- jump, jump, renter yeah. to renter. So whoever's got it now is going to drop it for me, like at the church up the road. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to pick it up. I think 
uh, tomorrow or Saturday, depending on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're planning on just drilling. You're just gonna drill them. I mean, I gotta drill while I have the drill. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Got drill when you drill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, because like, it's got to go to the next person. So I, I mean, I don't see any reason not to. No, I mean, it's just you know, you always try to get it in the ground, have that seed, <clears throat> you know, vulnerable in the soil, you know, as as little as possible. But I mean, you know, nothing you can do in that case. You're just gonna be waiting on rain. Personally, I would rather it sit in the ground, not germinated, and catch start catching rain, than catch a rain and go dry, um, because those young Agreed. those young seedlings are very vulnerable to drought. Agreed. I, I don't think that uh, they'll germinate. No. Until we get a rain. Until you get a rain. So I mean, I don't. I think we're because okay. it's been dry. It's not like I'm putting it into moist soil. No, it's it'll be. They'll sit until it gets, and then you'll be as long as we keep catching rain, you're fine. But if you put them in caught a rain, germinated, then went 20 days plus drought. That's what my clover's doing Not right good. now, probably. Yeah, my clover in some areas are burnt. My established clover looks really good, you know, but it'll even start to go into, you know, a bit of a slump here probably with that, how dry it's been. Yeah. I, um, it, it goes cl- dormant pretty quick in I, the summertime. I see a pretty substantial difference uh, in my clover pots in areas that are shaded and thus, you know, yeah, hold, hold moisture. more moisture. It, mm-hmm. Clover likes that moist soil. Mm-hmm. You know, typically on the edges where I get a lot more shade, yeah. it grows the best. So, yeah. I, so I'm a little, I'm not super stoked to go see what they look like right It'll now. It'll be interesting. I mean, it's so funny when you get into these planning aspects. Like we talked about it uh, on a podcast. Go, first of all, you know, first year I've planted corn. Corn is freaking tough to grow. Mm. It's a pain in the ass, you know. How's yours look? You sent me a picture. Um, I saw, you know, so, at least there's corn in there. Yeah, in Kentucky, I'm I'm in, I'm more encouraged this last trip than I was the trip before. Because I was like, well, you know, it's spotty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not that it's not. I mean, I've got some solid rows through there. But I've also got, you know, three-foot gaps, four-foot gaps in between, you know, plants. Which... Honestly, and you just said it's because it, it's it's all in a row. It's just dropping seeds inconsistent. Yeah, dropping seeds inconsistent. You think that's a a setting? No, I think it's just the way that those seed cups are shit. <laughs> they're just they're not as good as like an actual corn planter seed cup, which is highly efficient at consistency of dropping. Okay. Um, those what are is not. It, what do you mean a cup? A seed cup? So basically, in inside your drill, you've got your seed cup, and then it's actually got your uh, your essential, like your gear, which is going to be grabbing those seeds and feeding it like through the Like a paintball hopper. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, the more open it is, the more seed that comes through, the tighter it is, the less seed that comes through, mm-hmm. right? Well, I think because of the way that that is set up mechanism wise to cover a bunch of different types of seed meaning you know round seed small seed big seed corn is like wait a minute there is no adjustment for the seed size there's just two two different um buckets or two different hoppers one for small seed one for big seed interesting so see because this no-till drill that i'm getting ready to rent i'm pretty sure has a specific seed set absolutely yeah this does not it's not a grain drill it's a the one I have, the one I'm getting. Yeah, but yours drill. is a, a high-end no-till grain it's drill. A, I don't know. It's public. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's a Great Plains or something. Oh, and and yours just is not? Yeah. Like, that Great Plains drill costs $25,000. The one I'm getting ready to use? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know what brand it is. But. Yeah. Great Plains, Land Pride, one of those two. Okay. Uh, and then 
mine's 6500 bucks. Oh, and that's I'm sure has something to do with the adjustability and I the, have to believe and I know we've talked about this a lot. A lot of people are using them for food plots. I think I I'm pretty sure these things are made in China. I like that's mm-hmm. I don't know if they're hot, trying to hide that, but I'm pretty sure it's made in China, mm-hmm. right? 6500 bucks for a no-till drill. Mm-hmm. Um I I think it's made for like I'm not which doesn't mean it's bad quality here, it just means right? that it's it, cheap labor. Am I going to sound racist? It, I think it's made for like rice and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's how bad i mean oh. but that's what that's what it i mean that's what it's it's rice production um is there a rice gra- hopper like grasses. small medium rice i think that's what it, yeah i don't know i think that's what it's for though is those kind of whatever they're planning because i mean people don't understand china is a major agricultural country yeah um so i think that's a what lot of people to feed i think that's what it's made for um whereas you know so it's easy for us to adapt it to. I don't think so. I mean, they're making it for a U.S. market. You think there's? No, I don't think so. You think there's Chinese think farmers exact... using that same drill you have? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I would say so. Small time for? <laughs> are they trying to hunt pandas? Maybe. There's no hunting in China, is there? No, I don't think you can hunt a gun in China. I tell you what, that's one country I don't care ever to visit. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, so I, I. I think that's why it's easy for us when it comes down to um, like oats, wheat, brassica, clover. I mean, that stuff flows through that that seed cup and that that essential gear pretty easily. Corn is awkward, right? It's not a round, you know, like beans. I, I've heard a lot of people said, hey, this thing works great for beans. Well, so and, and I haven't done it yet, but there's a manual that comes with this drill. Mm-hmm. And Pete was telling me yesterday because I asked him, I said, hey, do I need to mess with the settings on this? Or And so he said, he's like, honestly, dude, it's pretty complicated. Like it's the it's based on the size of the, the exact size of the seed. And so it's like a, on, on a per seed basis is yeah, how see, you're supposed, that's way more how advanced you're than to what do we're some dealing calculation. with. And, and I was like. He said, whoever's planting before me is planting beans. So he's like, it's probably pretty close. Just, yeah. just go with that. See, I've got like different sprocket sizes, which is going to determine how fast that turns, which means how fast it drops seed and then the seed opens. Which is, and fine, that's it. Honestly, I mean, as long as it's. Uh, yeah, it's not a. It, we talked about this before. It is not a corn planter, right? That's not like it, when you see people going out with like an actual grain drill. Which is a planter, right? When it's tilled ground, I mean those those spaces between those corn uh, seedlings is like precise, whatever it is, six inches, I don't know, eight inches. It's freaking it's pretty pre- amazing. Actually. Yeah, it's freaking precise, right? This is not that. This it is, gives you a whole new appreciation for a cornfield. Oh, absolutely. You're like, wow, there was a lot of lot yeah. of you know things had to go right to get this. This is working. just like you know, drop the seed out. Don't don't drop too much out. And even still, like I've got three or four corn plants that are within six inches together because it dropped three kernels out, you huh. know, and buried it. So, I mean, that said, I, from a food plot standpoint, if it continues to succeed like it is, it'll be fine. Is there going to be spaces well, your in between? Weeds, right? You just got weed. Yeah. Competition. So I, I nuke that and I, so it planted them good. There's, adequate spacing and it's yeah and they more than adequate spacing yeah i mean in in some of this did um, it put out all your seed like if you said mm-hmm. hey i want to put however many pounds yep. to the acre it did that it did just it would group some and then you'd have some that were like i've got certain lines that it looks like i used a, a corn planter yeah like it's perfect there's just other places that it's not yeah you know maybe some of that is seed set on the ground and it didn't germinate more than it didn't drop it Right, because yeah. that you know we talked about does happen. Yeah, going through old pasture, it wasn't getting an inch and a half deep and burying that seed cleanly on every pass. What did it look like? You had 
just sprayed it and it was like laid no up. i mean it was dropping them in but sometimes it'd be <clears throat> laying on the top because mm-hmm. there's no wheel behind it to push it down in right it just rolls over top of it basically what rolls over top of it just, uh it's a cage basically that's what turns the like a call to packer behind it no it's an open cage that turns the uh actual gears to drop the seed so it's like a big open roll cage. Yeah, and is it a dual purpose? Is that supposed to cover the seed up? I don't think What's so. What's supposed to cover the seed up? Uh, scrapers in the back. Oh, scrapers. Which do nothing. Not? I, at least in pasture. Doesn't do anything. Uh, it's got to be loose. It wants loose soil. Yeah, loose soil. Hmm. So well, I'm, I'm building a... I, I took... Uh, I'm taking that thing off. It's a piece of shit. Uh, taking that thing off, and I bought... What, um, the scraper? Mm-hmm. I bought uh, heavy-duty um, conveyor belt rollers yeah. that I'm going to try to put on the back. And it's not real big because you don't have a lot of room, but it's heavy. Uh, and it's just going to be – that'll be my back kind of mini calder yeah. packer. As long as the spacing – as long as it doesn't push the mm-hmm. blades up too high. Correct. That would be good to have like a calder packer. It seems like it would have a calder packer. So it's, what's interesting is the, <clears throat> the drills. So they have a no-till version, which is what I own. They have a drill version, which – I didn't buy because that would require you to till it before you drill it. <laughs> you like that? It might be their new slogan. <laughs> till it till before, it before you, you drill it. Yeah. Uh, it has a call to packer. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> it has a call to packer on the back of it. Uh-huh. So, like, I saw somebody with it, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why do you have a call to packer? Mine costs more, and I get scrapers. Well, mine definitely does. Like, when I think of a no-till drill, it's it's got a, it's got all the wheels, and the wheels are what... Yeah, you know. Pin, yeah, and so in, in your together. in your good no-till drills, right? There are two angled wheels that sit behind just where one. the seed drops. Yeah, no, there's two angled blades that cut it open, and then there's one wheel Is that it, rides that rides it and pushes. Just it like down uh, yeah, think about a smaller version of like a, a seedling planter. Yeah, and I mean that's perfect. That's that's what you want. That's yeah. how you're going to get that seed buried, right? Mine doesn't have that. Interesting. So it I seems think like a key component to it. Yeah. Well. Again, cheaped out China, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, for, for what it did. Now, I killed everything with, I did a um, uh, a pre-emergent broadleaf killer, which was Simazine. I did a, uh, I did glyphosate at the same time. So I nuked it. When I planted that corn, I mean, everything was dead. But as the temperature of the soil went up, so the corn would germinate, so did the grasses that were in that seed bed that had not been killed. And so basically <clears throat> what I was competing with is I have a lot of grasses that came up in that, in that plot. So this past weekend I went in and sprayed um, a grass and broadleaf corn selective herbicide. So it essentially kill broadleafs, kill grasses, but not affect my corn. Not if I suppress those weeds... I should be in good shape. Tell you what, what would have helped. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, Roundup Ready corn would have helped, but Round it's up three, ready would three help. times the cost. Roundup Ready would help. Uh, also, and I learned this from our burn project: is spraying those grasses the previous. Yeah, that would have nu- nuked them down. Yep, that would have been a huge help because it's pasture grasses coming up. Yeah. Which I guess, you know, if you might as well treat broadleafs while you're at it. So, I mean, even just starting maintenance of that plot early. Yeah, anytime you're planting a, uh, you know, food plot seed that is not yeah. Roundup ready, you, you probably need to start prepping those weeds. And I had no idea. At the be- like, I cheaped out. Like, I, I got this, this corn seed, which is highly rated, but it's not Roundup ready. So, eventually, I was like, damn, I should have got it's $320 for a bag of Roundup Ready corn versus 95 bucks for a bag that I bought. Yeah. It's a substantial difference for a food plot. And it, it, that's what I, you know, at, at the end of the day, like I, I wish it would look like a farmer's field, right? 
ultimately, I'm not investing the money and time in it to make it. How much total acreage you have there? Oh, 45. I mean, that's that's the right amount of tillable acreage, like if there's a farmer in the area to... <laughs> there isn't. That, I mean, I'm sure there is. I just, you know, I didn't have time to really hunt them down this year. I mean, the problem is, is I'm, and it's the benefit to this farm, is I'm in cattle country. So, like, everything around me is basically cattle pastures. Mm. Um, so nobody's planting tillable stuff. You know, if the neighbor was planting tillable, I'd be like, hey, plant this. Yeah, I do love hunting cattle. Pack. Like, I, ha- I hate cows, but there is something about hearing a moo in a distance on a frosty November morning. Mm, yeah, well, and I mean. That's as far as my love for cows goes. The fact, the fact that it is all cattle pasture and that I will have crops and giant food plots is huge um, from a pulling them inside. No doubt. So I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> at the end of the day, I've got. You know, one, four, I've got like 10 acres in corn, um, 10 to 12. And then, and I sprayed it all. So, I mean, I had, there's one part, um, it's a bigger field. It's probably a three and a half acre corn field. And it, it's kind of this little round top where I was going to put um, a box blind up on the top. And I mean, I've got corn up there that's, you know, knee high, 4th of July. Mm-hmm. That's not, it was, at that time first. it was May. Yeah. And so, and again, and it's competing with grasses. So now that I've nuked that stuff out, you know, those resources should all go back to the corn. Um, so it'll be, inter- I mean, in, in hindsight, if somebody said, Hey, what would you do next year to do it better? It would probably be beneficial to nuke everything that I have and do one year, just turn it all, turn it all over get softer ground so that I have better penetration with that drill. Yeah. Um, I probably would have I- increased the amount of corn seed I was dropping, even though I went based on what I was supposed to, I probably would have increased it just a little bit to have it a little bit more dense. Mm. Um, I wonder how far back you need to go. Like what is, what is the perfect, the perfect approach? Like if you could start by spraying the year before. Yeah. Right. When, and yeah. when would that be like August? I think it would be back to that cool season kill, which would be October or something. Well, but for the I, pasture grass. You know, you want to kill the broadleaves too. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're so, trying to. The broadleaves aren't as big as a concern to me because that, uh, I sprayed that Simazine, which is a uh, pre emergent broadleaf control. Okay. They use it in switchgrass a lot. And I don't have hardly any broadleaves coming up. Okay. Well, I then have, maybe it's grass. Yeah, maybe you would look to spray with Gly like in October yep. of the year before and then spray before you're planting with a pre emergent. Yep. Simazine and Angle Eye as well. Because the, the last thing I really want to do is turn it over. Because the moment I turn it over, all of that seed bed now is exposed again to yeah. whatever else is going to come up. But it does seem like there's almost enough benefit to justify doing it the first year, like you said. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in hindsight, I would have probably done that. Now, on the flip side, and I haven't been there in, uh, in several weeks, so I, I don't know what it looks like. <clears throat> My corn in Ohio, which is, I mean... Effectively, that is, you know, crop ground and that bottom, uh, like wasn't doing shit or they were eating it all. I don't know. I'm not sure what the, the answer was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, cause I talked to Madison, my timber guy and he was like, yeah, I didn't really see much corn coming up. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Call yourself a farmer. Yeah. So I, you know, I definitely know that they were in it. I also think that um, I planted that corn a little bit early for probably Ohio, and so the soil temp wasn't high enough yet. So I don't know, again, is it going to germinate when the soil temp got higher? I don't know what it looks like now. It's two weeks later. 
Maybe it's coming up. Maybe it's not. But now, you know, I don't mind having to pivot for the food aspect of things. That doesn't like, you know, if I want to, I'll just put brassicas in or clover or whatever. Um, it's the screening aspect that I was worried about. Yeah. So I ordered, um, I ordered some plot screen stuff um, last week. And I'm at the kind of tail end of when you should get full like potential out of it. But I'm going to try to get it out here over the next 10 days. Me too. Um, I and, have some at the house. I'm and, gonna... you know, I'm going to go over some places where there is corn coming up, but I almost can't take the risk. I, I just need screening there. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to just seed it in there, screen it, and, uh, you know, hope for the best, basically. Mm-hmm. And then see where we're at. I've, I've got beans, like we were talking about earlier. I've got beans coming in on the in, a, in Kentucky. I'll probably do that the moment I see rain in the forecast. Uh, I already sprayed. I mean, that stuff was nuked. Um, so it's ready to go. I mean, that's all we're waiting for is the next rain. Well, it's like, yeah. might as well get stuff in the ground now. Like I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to drill those beans and I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to spray gly and put some screen down, uh, so that when that rain happens, if it ever happens, we'll, uh, we'll get that. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think what, um, you know, and this is kind of the same because you, when we did our fertilizer stuff, you fertilized all your bean areas, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a little short on some of those bean areas. I might have to go back in when I seed and put fertilizer down in there too. Cause I, I ran, I ran out when I was doing the bean stuff. I covered all my corn and then I ran down on the bean stuff. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, these summer plots are finicky. Like I, I was talking to one of our listeners the other day on, on, uh, I think it was Instagram or something. And they were just talking about, like, you know, establishing these plots. And it's, you know, it's no offense to the food plot guys, but, like, you can establish a brassica plot wherever the hell you want. Like, I mean, that that brassica, maybe it's not going to put on a basketball bulb, but, I mean, that shit will grow anywhere. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think the seed size has a lot to do with it. Like, because... Absolutely. Because all we're doing with clover and brassicas is broadcasting and spraying, and we're just trusting that that small seed will work. It's going to get sucked into the ground, and you're good. It's the fact that that corn and bean needs to be, like, whatever it is, half inch to inch and a half... And I have under the soil. I have had, um, at least in Ohio, the turkeys have mauled my corn. Uh, I mean, like five, six gobblers working through a field, like ripping the shit out of it, eating your seed. Well, I even the like I saw a lot of my um, seedlings coming up that were just like ripped out. Oh yeah. Yep. So I don't know if they're like getting down to the root where the seed was or or whatever. Interesting. Um, you know, and I mean. You think like, oh, you know, it's a two, three acre field. Like they can't do that much damage. They can, you know, and I mean, it, it looks like they have. It is fun. Yeah, that, that's the that size matters in that case. It's funny. Like you think about a two, three acre field as a, as a big field because it takes a lot of work yeah. to plant. From it. a food plot side, it is a big field. But then when you see, you know, you see six does pour out into it and there's, there's mowing Mawling for two it. hours. You're like, this every night, maybe twice or even twice a day is like, I can see where. And this goes. is the critical phase, right? For for corn, it's really May, and for beans, I think it's June. But those that first thirty days that that seedlings up out of the ground, that's when deer will hammer it. Like deer won't mess with your corn when it's you know a foot and a half tall. It's not. It's Nothing not. There. Yeah, it's not real good for them. But in the early grass stage, done. Mow it right. Same with the beans. Like. Your beans are going to get browsed, but once they kind of get up over that foot, you know, they're going to actually, it'll keep sprouting, you know, new shoots off. But when it's early, I mean, if they mow those things down, they're not getting off the ground. So you don't think that 
your browse pressure is necessarily hurting your your corn? Uh, you do in Ohio. I think it did. <clears throat> Maybe not now. Like I don't know what it looks like, but I don't. I, I think it did when it first came up, mm -hmm. um, and that's why I'm not seeing corn. Um, go. I have another theory on that, but I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus until I know for sure. Cause I used two different, I used a different corn seed in Ohio than I did in Kentucky. Um, like would you, I guess the reason I'm asking is would you consider fencing it? Like, does it seem like that would be worth it? In Ohio, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't know if I want to go to that effort. If, if anything, I'd rather. It I'll does just, seem like a lot of work. I'd right? rather just screen it. <laughs> I mean, the, the big thing in Ohio was, yeah, it would have been great to have corn in those different places. It's, the front field was the main one because I have road frontage, right? Well, now I'm just going to go in and screen the shit out of it. And then I don't, you know, if I put brassicas in between, it's still, I'm going to get my box blind there. I don't care. Um, and the road can't see it. That's the key is road can't see it. Yeah. And you planted some like permanent screen there, right? Like the. Mm hmm. Yeah, I've got switch. Oh, switch. What was the other stuff? Which I'm just not. I'm. Bunches? You know, I, this may like knock everybody off their seat. I'm just not sold on switchgrass. No, just based on what this year's planting or um, just the thought process around it and like how it's used. And and again, if I'm in, even if I'm in your area, right where I've got major ag country, I could see putting in a 10 acre switch field of like, this is, I'm adding cover, right? Where I'm at, I've got cover everywhere. Mm. Like, I don't need it. The switch doesn't give me anything better than what I have. Well, that's the way to think about it. I mean, if, if, if the property has adequate cover and is lacking on food, you know, put food on it, not yeah. necessarily cover. Well, and even switch from screening, I mean, it seems like it's going to take three plus years for that switch to get up to get me adequate screening. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's using it for screening though. I think you. I think they are. I think that's one of the main uses for people is is to screen. How tall is it? I don't like six, seven it. feet. It ain't tall enough. Well, and, and <laughs> I say that not not to throw a switch under the bus, but you know, um, there's, I mean, there's better product for, if for a screen. You're better off planting a screening. Product. Yeah, like some of the sorghum and stuff that I'm going to be right. planting in is going to go eight to ten feet tall. I think it's more than that. It's 10, 10 to twelve. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's the that's a wall. It gets tall. So I've had really good luck with um with some miscanthus of those is the same way. Although I, is I still I think if you have miscanthus, you need a tree planter. Like I I did that by hand, and that was a pain in the ass. Dude, tree tree planter will change your life. A tree planter to go through and drop those miscanthus miscanthus balls would be we, like dude, great. We, we planted uh, twenty five hundred trees one year with a double yeah. bar, and with a double bar, and yeah. I was like, that was a lot that of work. Sucks. And then we went out and did it. I borrowed Jed's tree planter. I was like, this is fun. I this just is easy. Just sit on the back of the tractor boop, and drop boop, them in. Boop. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's, you know, I'm just trying to find like, not that it's like the poor man's way, but like, I don't have these tools to do. Right. So it's like, what is the easiest well, way for me to have screen? Yeah, getting it. yeah. What's the easiest way for me to create screening and create food on my property when I have adequate cover? And it seems like, you know, going out there with a $20 bag in a broadcast seeder for this, uh, this essential, you know, food plot screen. And then doing my normal food plots and like I'm good, I have bedding. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, that's a that's a interesting conversation. Like you know the you know food should be food and cover should be or I'm sorry screen should be screen, um, unless you're really confident that that specifically corn. I mean corn's I, corn I think is the only food plot you know food you know food source that you're planting that could potentially act as a screen a screen. And, yep. and, but you got to be confident that it's going to work out. Yes. Because if not, it might be, 
Well, I don't know that it's too late because you get corn in the ground pretty early, right? Like in May, mm -hmm. April, May. Yeah, I mean, so it, I, where I had, I didn't really plan it too heavy on Ohio, but Kentucky, that corn was going to be a major component of my screen access. Mm -hmm. um, and it is for a lot of people, like in the Midwest, all of this. Oh, you know, absolutely. All, this whole corn edge row conversation yep. that we're talking, like farmer leaving some. Yep. The, the corn is the cup, you know, the, the screening in that. Yeah, there's situation. food, but it's for the it's screening. Criti it's critical. Yeah. And so, I mean, I have some corn growing up, but my concern is like, I, I don't, you know, I don't want a half-ass screen here. That defeats the purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go over it and I'm going to, I'm going to broadcast this uh, food plot screen right into it. Right into it, because I don't, I don't care about those small yeah. screens producing food for sure. deer. I just need screening. Sure. Um, and you have time to kind of react to that. That's why I was asking about yeah, the time yeah. frame. Is corn goes plenty in, of time. Whatever. When when did you plant your corn? Uh, end of April. End of April, and that that uh, screen doesn't typically need to go in until you know right now where it's yep. you know May May fifteenth June first yeah. June fifteenth even. Yep. So you have time to you know see what your germination looks like. You know you know consider. Uh, chemical treatments before you go in and yep put a uh put a real screen in there but yeah because the nice part is i where i have those potential screens i've got a lot of bare dirt you know and so it's the same way it's like just you know drill it through there and let it go you know be done with it or broadcast yeah. all i've done in the past want. is and i have turned it over for you know whether that was required or not is i just i would turn the soil over broadcast and, and call to pack, it, pack in. it in and i've had real good luck with those because uh, mm -hmm. it, it grows so fast it, it, it almost seems to outcompete whatever it does there. Yeah, I mean, and at that so point, I don't care if there's some grasses over. and weeds in there, as long as I got a wall that's, you know, protecting yeah. me. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, um, the, the corn aspect's been interesting. You have a disc? Yeah. Good, uh, good disc? Yeah, big one. Yeah, critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I feel pretty good about the way that it lays out. And again, it's first year on this farm, so I don't know. I The, the key is I'm just going to put as much food on it as possible. Like, if the corn you know, shits out, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to have some beans in the ground. I'm going to have a ton of brassica. I'm going to have a ton of clover. You know, it's not the end of the world. It's just be nice if I had this kind of variety set yeah. up. And, and uh, Dude, I don't know if you ever get it like 100% right. You know, we're, we've had our farm for seven, eight years. We're, we're still very much making adjustments. It's the time. I just, I, you know, we talk about this with some other guys. Like, I don't have, you know, I wish I did. I don't have 60 days a year to just plant food plots and manage my well, farm. It's a lot of work. I mean, you know, think about a majority of our podcast this time of year is just f farming. You know, we're, we're trying to figure out how to, how to get the stuff to grow. And so when, mm -hmm. the, when the time comes, you know, the situations, we're just trying to create as good of an environment to create potential hunting opportunities around and, and to have a thriving mm. herd, you know, that protects age structure and promotes, mm -hmm. you know, antler growth and all this stuff as possible. That's what this time of year is about. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and, it's, and making that work like in a way that's advantageous to, it's, that's where it's hard, man. It's because you're trying to do everything at once. Like I want, sure. I want food to grow. I want cover to grow. I want some food that is cover and some food that is bedding. <laughs> and then I want bedding that is bedding and that's separated from this. And all of us has to work together to get five or six, you know, whoever's on this so property. And we can only off. access it from certain yeah. directions. And so, like, at the end of the day, like, you, you can only expect, uh, I think, so much success. Yeah. You know, you got to account for some things not to work out. And so you got to be flexible. Just like it, during the hunting mm -hmm. season, not every plan is going to work you know so you got to just kind of roll with it and it's good to have backup plans you know that's where brassicas and, and uh, oh yeah and oats, oats and, and yeah. you know things can be a saving grace you know and so, it will be so lots of glyphosate and small seed and mobile tree stands and you'll be in good shape oh, and i think that's it you know especially in early in a farm it's the it's the major disadvantage of being an absentee landowner right i mean like i just said oh, it's hard you know it's been two and a half or three weeks since i've seen the ohio corn i don't know i mean it could look great 
It might look like shit. I have no idea. Me too. May not even be there. Me too. Um, or clovers, but I, you know, I'm curious. But I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, it's it's because uh, I don't know, dude. Like, I, I really am as much as like I'm envious of like the, the Iowa landowners, the guys mm-hmm. that own land and hunt in Iowa. Um, I don't want to live there necessarily. You know, yeah. I mean, like I, I really like our life. You know, we've got a life built around like our businesses that we run here, and like as much as we might. Uh, you know, whatever, talk about how, how awesome it would be to be out there all the time and stuff. The reason that we're, we love hunting so much and going out of state and stuff is because we don't get to experience that every day, you know, and that's something that I think only, um, I think that's something that like non Midwesterners, uh, it's, it's kind of exclusive to us. It's like, we we get the chance to, if we're lucky enough, if we've, you know, worked hard enough to, to have the opportunity set up at some point, we get to go to this place where these giant deer mm-hmm. live, you know, and hopefully the work that we've done, you know, the time that we've been able to take out from, from our busy schedules here to do it, will we'll pay off. And that's just the yeah. different, different, you know, everybody's got a different situation on that. Well, and that's where it comes down to when we start, you know, it, it's June one, give it, you know, whatever, three, four more weeks. And we've kind of already talked about it here with Kansas, but it's like, you know, okay, now plan your schedule. Because, oh. I mean, there's only... We drew Kansas, by the way. Oh, we drew Kansas. Yeah. yeah we haven't I, talked, I about we that. talked about that. Hey! So we drew Kansas tags. Yeah. Um, As did, I think, about everybody else that we... There's a lot of people that did. To. I saw a lot of people draw. I, there, I saw a few people that did not. Did, but ben, I saw did a lot Ben draw, you know? I don't know. I bet he did. I don't think he drew last year. Yeah, I don't think he did yeah, either. He, just, he had a point. Yeah. <clears> so, yeah, we drew. Going back. <clears throat> um, but, I mean, it, it, it comes down to the planning because, ultimately... Let's even say you hunt Kentucky like I do. September 2nd, Kentucky season opens, right? Pretty much after, unless I'm in Ohio, I mean, November 25th. Like after November 25th, it's a struggle bus wherever you're at. In most cases, unless you're in the south listening to this. Um, But for us. As far as red hunting. Yeah, in front of, as far as just hunting, period. It's not. I mean, dude. It is. I mean, the, the major chunk of the season is October 1st and November 25th. Yeah, unless, you know, that that's the time of year some of this stuff we're doing now could really pay off. Yeah, because you have the food to suck them in. And it it does, man. It's almost just like a guy could honestly, if you had if you had really good uh, you know, success with, with planting food and, and having the right setups, a guy could just wait until December to start hunting every year and and, and I think your odds of like catching up with the buck that uh you know, you're after is pretty good. The downfall though is everybody else has first opportunity. You know, they've been pressured at that point. Chances are, depending on where you live, they, they've been shot already, or you know, you're kind of hunting whatever's left. But but the odds of of seeing and having an opportunity at whatever's there is is pretty pretty dang good over a food source in December and January. Yeah, and I think that that's um that's a hard one for depending on what state you are for you to to kind of com- you know comprehend. So for instance, look pet- at those muzzleloader tags in Iowa, dude. A lot of yeah. guys don't you know that's they draw they can draw those every other year, so they just wait and. Go hunt a food source, and I mean, the odds of success are pretty good. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least, my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And, dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit, and most of them are under 200 bucks. 
southcam.com. Check them out. Well, and I, so what I was saying there is like in Pennsylvania, I mean, it, one, the season kind of literally ends. Like there is no season till after Christmas. But like after Christmas, I mean, it's, you know, if there's 700,000 people hunting deer in the state of Pennsylvania, after Christmas, there's 40. How dumb is that that we have intermittent bow season here in PA? It's the dumbest thing ever. It makes no sense. Yeah, it's stupid. What's the point? Trying to limit harvest? Or is it just is it the uh, same I as the Saturday it, Sunday hunting? I think, thing? Yeah, I think it's pleasing. I think it's pleasing the people who are, um, you know, other stakeholders in the state, yeah. not not our stuff. Mm. Not yeah, because I mean every other state, it's it's clear through. Like starts here, ends here. Weapons change, seasons change, but I mean you can hunt every day. That's so nice in Ohio, man. Not to even. That's funny. I'll like text people. I'll text you. You know, I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm running out for you know t- today and tomorrow. And you're he's you're like, well, I, if I go I, to Ohio I, or go to Kentucky, I know, I know. Yeah. But here, you're like, I won't be. And I'm like, oh, I forgot. You know, yeah, think about Sunday. That. Yeah, I mean, it grew up that way. Yeah, it's just it's such a weird thing when you come when you think about it because again, you talk about October here in Pennsylvania. It's usually first part of October till I think now it's November 18th or 19th is the season end. But that's it. I mean, you have gun season after, and then you've got a lag until um, after Christmas. But, I mean, it's October 1st to November 18th. If you're a bow hunter in Pennsylvania, I mean, 99% of the bow deer in Pennsylvania are probably killed during that time frame. Yeah. 1% after Christmas. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think um, I think the season dates actually fall late this year. Do like, they? I know. Because Ohio is almost always, if not always, a week before. Yep. Pennsylvania and Ohio's September 30th this yeah, year. Yeah, so that means PA's probably like October, 4th, October 4th or 5th, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kentucky's early. It's September 2nd. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's just hard. And it, there's a reason for that, right? I was talking to, uh, when I was showing the Powell property the other day, the guy I was showing it to, we were just talking about other states hunting and stuff. And I said, well, you know, for me, I kind of look at bow hunting as, um, you know, as much the quality of deer, but it aligns very much with the pressure that exists in that state, right? So in Pennsylvania, there's 330,000 plus bow hunters. That's all archery, crossbows, longbows, compounds, whatever. It's the most uh, archery hunters in the country, 330,000 in the state. Is it really? Yep. Oh, it's, ho- it's the most? More than like Minnesota? Correct. And Michigan? Yep. and Ohio, I think, was one, don't quote me on it, 189 maybe. So almost. Really? I, Pennsylvania has the highest number of archery hunters. Yep. 330,000 plus. That's resident tag, or that's, that's just all. people that bought an archery tag in Pennsylvania? Correct. Yep. No way. Yeah. Well, think wh- about that. Where do those other ones sit? Like Minnesota and the other real high ones? I don't know, but I bet that they have stricter crossbow policies. I'm not picking on crossbows there, but I bet that's. That's why. Well, that would account for a major portion of our numbers, I'm sure. Yeah, we're wide open. But I think you can hunt crossbows in uh, some of those states. Um, Wisconsin, I know you can for sure, or or Michigan. uh, Yes, according to this, this was in uh, 2021, so I don't know about last year. There were 3.7 million licensed boat hunters in the country. In the country, PA was number one, 331,000. Wisconsin was two, 307. 307. Um, Michigan, 304. Mm. 
Man, it's a pretty big drop. I think uh, New York, 244. Missouri, 202. Minnesota is at like 104. So, uh, anyways, that's so really I, interesting. So I say that because of the pressure, right? So I think Michigan and Wisconsin are both crossbow yeah, states as well. Yeah, that, that, that's that probably that three hundred thousand people compared to like the next closest state, which is New York at two forty four. And I think New York's crossbows as well, right? So then, the next closest state is like one fifteen. <laughs> well, and that'll do it. I mean, the minute you know you, you qualify crossbows as archery, that number is going to even Texas is one sixty eight double. Wow, I mean Pennsylvania is twice as many bow hunters. Than Texas. Texas. That's nuts. That's crazy. I don't know what the crossbow deal is in Texas. I'm sure they can use it. They pretty much shoot them at night if they want to. Yeah. So, uh, and That's so wild. why I say that is you think about pressure in the states and the quality, okay? Uh, Illinois is at 173, right? And I think a lot of people would say, well, Illinois has got a, a pretty good deer herd, right? It's There'll be a lot of people from Illinois that'll say it ain't like it used to be, right? And I think that there's more crossbows oriented into that state recently too. But um, I think you also can take two two deer, two deer, yeah, out of that state. So I mean, 173. There's a lot of pressure there. I would say that you know Illinois would be poised to continue to not go up in quality because of that many hunters. Generally speaking, you know, it's it's. I don't know. It's not apples to apples. You know, sure. Illinois is a big state. You know, so, Iowa's fifty-seven thousand. So, so even even if you were to take the same number, what's Illinois? What almost double the size of Pennsylvania in terms of like acreage? No, I bet Pennsylvania is bigger than Illinois. Really? Yeah, hundred percent. Can we find it out? Can you, or about the same? Curious. Not gonna lose this. Uh, just a few other numbers while we're thinking about it. Uh, Iowa, 57,000. Makes sense. That's just residents, right? Mm-hmm. There's no... There's not that many people there. Right. Uh, Kansas, 58,000. Wait, wait. These numbers are just residents or all... All bow hunters. Okay. So that Illinois number includes non-resident towns. Correct. Okay. Yep. Illinois Can- compared to what? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Uh, Kansas is 58,000. Here was this, the state that I'm excited about. Uh, Kentucky, 62,000. That's it. Mm-hmm. So Iowa's... 57,000. Kentucky, which is open, 62,000. Mm-hmm. I think Nobody it's, wants to hunt that shit. That's fine. <laughs> I think, there's, I think well, that's where you're going to start seeing some more giants well, coming out. You of. know what, though? Like, you know. Ohio's 172, by there, the way. There's, okay. There's another fact. Half. Half the bow hunters in Ohio than are in Pennsylvania. There's another factor, you know, that, that has a significant impact on that, which is uh, habitat. Yeah, deer, deer habitat. You know, if I look at the, which is, you know, not helping this case that we're talking about in Pennsylvania, but if I look at Illinois. Besides uh, Chicago ver- and Springfield and stuff, very All of habitat. deer habitat. I mean, What's the size, Nick? So uh, it says it's about 1.2 times bigger than Pennsylvania, 24% larger, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's okay. square kilometers. Is that how they measure it? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, so 116,000 for PA, 143,000. It's 20% bigger. 20% bigger. Yeah, so... A little bit bigger. A little bit bigger. Um, and half the number of hunters, less than half the number of hunters. Bow hunters. Mm-hmm. Bow hunters. And way more habitat. Way more habitat. So I don't know that we can say that it's not. I, I don't think it's going to be as sufferable as Pennsylvania. Parcel size, I think, is a big one, yeah. too. I just think, and again, it's it's other policies involved, but look at even Kentucky, which is open. It's a third third of the bow hunters in Kentucky than in Illinois. 
I think there's way less deer habitat in Kentucky than there is in Illinois. Different, there's parts of the state that mm-hmm. are more or even better. Sure. But generally speaking, it's big timber ridges. And, yeah, in and, the east, at least. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, versus farm farm ground. There's a lot of factors to it. It is. That is interesting, though. It to, is. To it, know that Pennsylvania is number one number, number one. hunters. That's wild. Opportunity. Whoop, whoop. Number one, baby. That's uh, we, we win. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we there, win. there's That's some it. other ones that one. I would say are like, first um, last. you know, some like Arkansas is 128. Um, I was trying to see any more like major whitetail. Arkansas. Arkansas is directly south of Missouri, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mississippi 78. Nebraska's 32. Isn't it weird how those states almost don't exist to us? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no offense. I know. I mean, sp- I know these people are down there. Like, it just doesn't. West Virginia is ninety six thousand. Sorry, deer hunt guys. I mean, but I mean, it, it's Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, all over three hundred thousand bow hunters. It's a lot of people mm-hmm. in those states hunting. Mm-hmm. Kind of crazy that West Virginia is that much less than PA, considering it's 000. right below it. Yeah, smaller state. It's like Kentucky, mm-hmm. in habitat wise. Mm-hmm. Smaller state, at least the eastern part. Yeah, it just. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's. Uh, but I mean, to that point, I can't believe that there's thirty thousand more bow hunters in West Virginia than there are in Kentucky. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, or the, or let's say Kansas. Like, can't we talk about rural besides Kansas City and Topeka and some of these places? Wichita, like Kansas is a remote state, right? Kansas basically has the same amount of bow hunters as Kentucky. My, plus or minus 3,000. That makes sense to me, though. I mean, it's just giant, giant tracks out there. Mm-hmm. You know, less people per acre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just would think that Kentucky had more people on it. But Pennsylvania being 330 is... Well, it's also way is, bigger. Kansas is way bigger than sure. Kentucky. Yeah, three 330 in, in Pennsylvania, <clears throat> 300s in Wisconsin and Michigan. I mean, that you can understand why, the you know, these are where kind of the it, heart it, of it, deer hunting is and also where probably the heart of frustration in deer hunting is. It would be interesting. To, I mean, I don't know what the real value is, but but it would be interesting to see all of these variables accounted for and to see, like, apples to apples across the board. You know, what's the number of hunters per acre? Number, and I'm, mm-hmm. all this information, I'm sure, exists out mm-hmm. there somewhere, but just to yeah, just to, see, to take this, the, the, the size of the state into account. Yeah, because, like, Texas is a giant state. Um, it but blows I, my mind that we have more bow hunters per Double. Ca- because how many more people are in Texas than in Pennsylvania? A lot. Uh, substantially. So significantly less of their population hunts than ours. Mm-hmm. Is what that tells me. Mm-hmm. We should make it into an app. Well, you know. Hunter app. Hunter app. Yeah, I think the big thing in Texas is I think, I don't know what it is. I think 98% of Texas is private. There is like no public land in Texas basically to hunt. Yeah. And so I think that's a huge contributor of why there's less people bow hunting. What in percentage there. of Pennsylvania hunters do you think are hunting PA public land? 40%, 40, 30%, 30, 40%. Yeah. I would think so. Maybe it's less than that. I mean, cause I think we're probably 70% private or so probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would assume, you know, 30% are hunting public. You know, people will argue and say, well, I used to hunt a lot of private. Well, you also hunted a lot of public and it was less you know, now hunting public or less now hunting private. I think less now hunting private. Because yeah, of loss of access. Man, that's, <clears throat> I don't know, I wonder if that's nationwide, uh, but but that's what all those, I call them old timers, but just, you know, our, our dad and uncle's sure. type's age, you know, all of them talk about, 
um, no, you know, used to be no posted signs. Just you just went. You, you would just, just well, hunt. and you would talk. You know, you would know, but yeah, there was no such. You could, could just cross the property line, and you know, you'd hunt wherever the. You but know. there was a weird respect back then. Like I know Not my weird, dad it was just respect. There was well, respect back well, then. but yeah, that, maybe that's why. You know, like I know my dad will talk about it. Like there was, you know, three or four groups of guys who were bow hunters. Well, the industry is lar- largely responsible for that too. It's, it's the privatization yeah. of wildlife. Like people want to. People want to claim, you know, sure. ownership of, you know, that's my deer, that's my, uh-huh. you know, and and so they start to pr- yeah. Look protect at the things that are out there. I mean, I, I you know, I, you hear rumors of like celebrities tying toilet paper to like fences so that it like you know spooks the deer and they don't can, cross. Can and it's like, what the can hell? we find out the number of B- uh, PA bow hunters uh, like twenty years ago? Yeah, I think up. it's increased. It has to have. I think it doubled. Well, and that's there's the crossbow number that at some point got added in. It there. doubled, but but without that, I'm, well, I don't know if you'll be able to tease it. I think it doubled. I guess I don't know why you would tease it. Is it is? I think it that? was one hundred and fifty thousand, and now it's three hundred and thirty thousand. Yeah, well, that'll do it. <laughs> that'll yeah. do it. You know, you put the double the amount of bow hunters onto the same amount of property, uh, uh paired with you know everything that's come along with a, a hunting industry of you know privatization of. I, I don't know if that's yeah, the term, loss loss of access privatization of of you know perceived wildlife basically of like this is my spot I lease this pro I mean dude leases didn't exist in this state twenty years ago mm-hmm. and like I the first time I heard about it a lease exist now there's no ground in PA with <laughs> leasing dude. the first time I heard about a lease I was in Mississippi and they're like oh yeah we lease this property I was like what do you mean they're like <laughs> what is lease they're like oh you know like we pay and we're the only ones that hunt it and I'm like you can do that <laughs> like. I remember leaving there, and I'm like, "Holy shit! I'm gonna go lease a bunch of ground in Pennsylvania." You can do that. And I was like, "Yeah." Here's 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, 277,000, and then 2019 is 325. Wait, so 15 years ago, okay, 277, mm-hmm. and then three. So it went up 50,000, then jumped another. So it's up 50 or 60,000 with crossbows. Mm-hmm. With the and I mean that's not. Because I mean, Brian told us Burhan said what fifty fifty, in terms of compound and crossbow users mm-hmm. now, which sounds right. So yeah, I mean, I you know I think that the um, a part of it is in you know we're gonna have guests lined up here um, over the next few weeks to kind of talk about, but you know I I'm really intrigued in you know. It's not something that I want to do all the time, right? But I think I get I get pretty intrigued with these guys who are hunting public land and pursuing mature bucks because i mean I, you know maybe it's not the the biggest antler scored deer but i mean you if you're killing mature bucks consistently on public lands there's something to be said about that yeah absolutely. Um, i think it's a i think it's super hard to do consistently um you know i also would be curious to know how many of those people are still having good experiences because that's the trade-off right it's like I love the challenge of what that might be to to kill a, a big mature buck on public land. What I don't want is three quarters of my season to be bad because I'm running into guys or guys are walking in on me. Like, you know what I mean? That Like the whole point of deer hunting in, in that season is to like have this ultimate like freedom of release and like be in your space and your passion and stuff. And then all of a sudden, if that, if three quarters of your season is fighting other people to get away from them or get a spot to where you, you try to achieve a goal. Where's the trade-off there that, that makes it worth it? It is interesting. It's kind of like a, 
oxymoron in Pennsylvania because it's like obviously there's more hunters. Mm-hmm. Well, bow hunters, more bow hunters, maybe less, less hunters. over hunters, more bow hunters overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I think most people would say the the opportunity to shoot a big an older it's buck has increased. Yep. And it's, it, that's the tough one to put a tough one to put a, a thumb down on because it's like you'd you'd think you know less pressure you know less mm. harvest uh, I guess there is less harvest overall right mm. yeah yes there because, is and that I assume there has is. to do mainly with you know rifle season yep rifle season yep and so, tag allocations and stuff but yeah tag allocations so I guess you could look at it and say you know guys were really efficiently killing a lot of deer with rifles back Correct. in the day. Mm-hmm. And now we have more bow hunters, less hunters overall, mm-hmm. better potential for, for deer. Mm-hmm. But the problem is less access. Yeah, less access for sure, and and more guys in the woods. Dirt. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird because because the rifle season was condensed too. Yep. But I guess you were just used to seeing ten or eleven days. Well, and that maybe was the mentality because you're like, I we've talked to people that were like, well, if you're not. If the guys aren't out there pushing them around, you ain't going to see deer. I mean, that's how I grew up is yeah. is opening day of rifle season, 730, my dad would be like, ready to drive, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, it was just because, like, if people weren't moving deer, you got out and moved deer, you know? And, I mean, that's just how it was, you know? And you saw major fall-offs, right? I mean— Well, dude, maybe that mindset has changed over time, too, because at one time, people might not have cared at all that there was people everywhere. They're like, this is deer season. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, and that came along with, I think, that— whatever that privatization of or, or wanting to manage yeah. deer, you know, that mindset change where it's like, I don't want to see people. Right. I, not that, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's that, a weird maybe thing that is now. True. Yeah, because I mean, I, that's, I, a, that's a very Pennsylvania thing. I used to want to see people get up and move because I'm like, yep, they're going to move deer. Now, if I run into people, I'm like, fuck. Yeah, it's shot. Yeah, it's just, it's shot. Yeah, and it's, so it's, it, you They're know. totally different. They're totally different. I mean, the same, same, but very different, you know, because it's like you, you, we want you and I, I think want to experience like uh, an uninhibited, uh, you know, by I want to play chess match with a deer with the deer. Yeah. Where it's me versus him. Yeah. There's always going to be external factors, but I don't necessarily want one of those factors to be some dude came walking in, kicked him out of his bed. He ran right to my tree and I shot him. It feels way more uh, like intimate of an experience. Uh, you know, in that it's not, you know, I don't know. There, there's something to just like to experiencing nature and wildlife the way that it wants to exist. I mean, dude, I think that even all the time, like driving around looking at, I don't know, highways and cities and like people do a lot of cool stuff, but like, man, wasn't it better before all this stuff was here? Like, well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because like, you know, I grew up hunting a lot of like the suburbs of Pittsburgh and I would, I would eyeball a five acre piece of woods next to houses. And I'm like, I'm like, I can kill a buck in there. Mm-hmm. And, and I probably did. Right. But the experience wasn't near what I, what I look for now in a hunt. Right. Like I literally would say I, my strategy was how do I slip into that five acres and kill this buck without the buck seeing me and without the people seeing me. In well, the yeah. And anymore, you're trying to find pockets of deer that are uninfluenced Un- by you know development yep. by hunting pressure yep. you want to find them in their natural habitat. Correct. it's getting tougher and tougher to find absolutely and so that's where it's kind of that's weird. the quality of the experience that you're talking about yeah and so that's where it's like you know on a public side like i i mean when 
when some of these guys are killing mature bucks on public land, like I was watching um, some of Jake Bush's stuff here not too long ago. He's doing um, just some scouting stuff on, I think it's like Latitude Outdoors or whatever. But it's like, it's really cool. That said, like if three quarters of my season is not as much hunting the deer as it is getting away from people, right, and repositioning myself, like I don't know if that's the experience I want. I know it's definitely admirable. I mean, th- those are your guys, those are your high pressure guys that are. And maybe they don't have a choice, so I, I get that. Like, yeah, it, it is what it is. You make do yeah. with what you can. It's just it's a weird feeling to say, you know, I and I I guess I'm sympathizing with a lot of these public land guys who constantly are having to probably outmaneuver people more than they are the deer mm-hmm. in their hunts in today. I mean, like that's when, the, that is the game. When we look at Illinois or even Kansas, I mean. We're at, it, the deer are real irrelevant. It's like okay, number one, we got to outmaneuver the these people, and then we'll figure out what deer are in the area to even potentially hunt. And that's the strategy because that's the same thing the deer are doing. Is where aren't the people? You know, so if you yeah, can, that's not fun. Like it, it doesn't give you the freedom yeah. to be able to look at a map, which is what. Well, it's different. What I get excited about is like if I look at a map and I'm like, okay, here's a betting knob and here's my access. Well, if I pull yeah. in and there's two trucks there, it muddies shut the, the shit. It muddies the a lot. Yeah. It's gone. So it's just, it, it's a weird way to be able to go at it. And I get it. It's part of the challenge of public land. Um, it's just kind of going back to those those older days. Like there are these pockets of hunters, which maybe there were no posted signs and property lines, but these guys knew that these guys hunted over there and they didn't go over there. That's where these guys hunted. We hunted here. They hunted there. Yeah, everybody had their, yeah, their routes. Now it's just like, like just wherever. Yeah, this is a very different, very different uh, you know, time. Yeah, and it's just, um, you know, it. I, I feel like it's just so much pressure put on, like, just killing it. Just just killing the deer. Like, getting out there and killing the deer. What, like, what do you attribute that, like, you know, uh, that phenomenon to? I mean, I know there's a lot of factors we talked about there. Like, why, why do you think that there's better deer in Pennsylvania now than there were 20 years ago? I think part of it's the education. People aren't shooting the first deer. But I think number one is there's less hunters. Less hunters to take less, less one-year-olds. You know, last hunters. That's it. I mean, most of the deer are now because of antler restrictions getting to two and or three. Certainly, a value put on age class and and antler size by the industry, I think, has driven some of that too. Yeah, and a restriction of access. You know, what was a lot of wide open hunting is now very privatized to where people are going to say, "Well, yeah, I have a thousand acres, you can't hunt it, and I'm not going to shoot three year olds." I don't know if that's as big of a factor in Pennsylvania. I think in some other states, yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. I There's just don't a think... lot of lost ground in Pennsylvania that used to be people could go and hunt and shoot the first buck they saw. It's still getting hunted. Yeah, but I don't think it's... I think people are a little bit more mindful of what they're shooting. Maybe. And there's less people hunting. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's it's a hard one to, to put a thumb down on. I do think that bow hunters in general, and it's not a knock to people that just kind of, I think bow hunters in general are more, um, you know, thought process oriented around what they want to shoot. Um, yeah. Even if you're, even if you're a public land guy they and you are. only have public land, you, you go into the season kind of have an idea of what you want to kill. Maybe you just want to kill the first legal buck and that's fine. Um, but I think a lot of people go into it, you know, whether it's history with a deer or new spot or mm. daydreaming of a big buck. The the bar in Penn, yeah, you're, I don't think you're wrong. I do think that, bo- you know, maybe bow hunters have uh, a bit more of a, a goal. Maybe mm-hmm. there's there's more of a goal, but uh, in, ter- in terms of like a certain uh, age class or antler size of deer, uh, 
it the bar is still very low. Yeah, very low. I I would be surprised if there's more than five. Let me pull a number out of my butt here. I'd be surprised if there's more than ten percent of bow hunters in Pennsylvania that would pass. Um, a I'm gonna say a two year old like yeah, a hundred twenty five inch, yep. hundred twenty inch. Yeah, there's eight. not many hundred twenty inch two year olds in PA, but 100, yes, hundred twenty inch ten point. There's no. my specific scenario. No. I think less than ten percent of PA bow hunters would pass a hundred twenty five inch two year old. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, you're right. You know, and that's, I don't know, dude, it's weird. I'm telling you, like, most. I think Michigan would be the same. I think Wisconsin would be the same. It's yeah, just, I mean, what, that, that's, these, a, that's a book buck, right? Or is it 130? 125. 125. Where, where, where these deep-rooted traditions are, I think I think it would be the same. Um, I think, you know, and we, we kind of commented about how we like, like, the YouTube aspect of things in terms of these, like, kind of just, you know, nobody-type hunts. I don't know what it is, man. It, there's a... The pressure to say, look at me in today's society is disgusting. And what, when, what, what do you mean? Just like, you know, you have to kill a buck. Like it used to be, like I knew guys growing up that it, if they could have shot 30 bucks in their life, the moment the first three points stepped in front of them, they were killing it just to say, hey, killed a buck this year. I don't, that, that was the only thing they cared about I, is that I they could say it. I think that's gotten worse. I think it, if you they, don't think it's gotten worse, I think it's gotten better. If oh, anything, I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, how many times do you see something on social? It's like, yep, killed this five-year-old, and you're like, well, no. there is a misjudgment of of age for sure. I think it's a flat-out lie. I don't. I don't think it's a. <clears throat> that's that's a complex one. I think, I think guys are dad's age. That was where notoriety came from. That was because keep in mind, those are the guys who are not. Like, out there, I mean, like, yeah, your dad shared a picture of the buck he killed this year. But those guys aren't out there, like, mm -hmm. trying to be something in the hunting mm. space. Not in the hunting space, but in their own circle. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Dude, in their dad, own circle. My dad at churches, that phones out every chance he yeah, gets. Yeah, for know? sure. And but but in, in, the, in the, the wide open space of social media, which is the worldwide space, right? They're not trying well, to be they, something in that. Those guys don't feel pressure from that either, though, like in the same line. I know. So what I'm saying is I think in their, in their you know, when they were in their 20s and 30s, uh, that was the thing. If you could kill a buck consistently, that's like, that's that was that was really admirable. I think more so than killing one one big deer, one, one big one. Um, now I think it's more... Uh, you know, I don't know, fueled, fueled by wanting to shoot a certain, certain size of deer, you know, and kind of stretch, stretching, stretching the limits to get there, I guess. Does that make yeah. Sense? Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's, um, you know, those, those guys transparently are getting older and our group is coming up and it, this is kind of not all we know, right? Like, I think I was the last generation that like I was a freshman in college when Facebook came out. Mm -hmm. Um, like, but this is kind of how we've started to say, you know, hey, look, look at versus those guys in their own little circles at church or whatever. We're like, yeah, you know, Dwayne killed a big one. Just see it in his truck. It's it, it doesn't exist like that. It's anymore. interesting. Facebook for me almost has become because like, I don't I don't really post on any social media platforms. Uh, but I do. I will post a picture of my deer. When you know, that's about it. Because I'm like, I know there's guys out there that would be interested in seeing that. Mm -hmm. I already think so, anyways. Yeah, it's a weird thing because I, <clears throat> I, I don't think that, that's about um, it. It's like Facebook exists for me to 
show people what I shot. Like once, I have a, a I have a huge I have a huge family, and so like if the kids and I are out fishing or the kids shoot something, like I post it on there just because I'm not going to text. 21 first cousins like mm -hmm. hey look and i know that they all care because we're all hunters like we're all in the yeah. we grew up that way so like i feel like social's good for that um you know and and of course like sharing things like that but it's also it's a weird setting to where like and everybody listening to this can tell there are certain people out there posting just for attention like that's that's the only reason for their existence on social media, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or Facebook. I mean, it's like literally, you know. At first, I'm kind of like I don't get it, and then at some point, it's like, like, does somebody not love you? Like you're just you are just dying for attention. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel bad for them most of the time, but you're just out there like it's craving attention, craving attention, and it's like, you know, that didn't exist 15 years ago. Yeah. Right, I mean, you you had a circle, you had friends, like you, well, you didn't have to. The do thing that. is, dude, people just didn't know. Like, yeah, you, they didn't. That's what you talked about at Thanksgiving dinner. Well, and again, whatever. it goes back to the forced conversation. And like, there was, I there's a, a lot to say for that. You like, know, this society communicates worse than any society in freaking history. Cavemen, you know, yeah. were able to communicate better than us. Yeah. We don't communicate worse shit. I mean. You know, we, Nick and I were just talking, like, Carter goes into middle school next year, and it's like, oh, you know, now he's got to have a phone and this stuff. Like, I'll fucking never talk to that kid. He'll be texting me from the dinner table, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I don't, it, it's such a, conversation was already kind of on the ropes you when we were growing up. dinner table? Oh, no, he yeah, doesn't have a phone. That. He doesn't have a phone. Yeah. Guess lay a lot I out mean, on that now. Dad's on the phone on the dinner table until <laughs> yeah. I get the eye, then I'm like. You got to work on that, too. Yeah, slide that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it's a weird thing because that's what that's all these kids know. Dude, let's talk about this for. I told you, I, did I tell you I got rid of Instagram on my phone? You did. Oh, best thing I've ever done. Yeah, I, dude, I just I don't know what it is. Like I can just be honest with myself. It's like I I don't know if I, if I have an addiction, but I certainly have a leniency towards entertainment. You just get caught on it. Yeah, I just it's the same as uh, TikTok was the worst. Mm -hmm. TikTok scroll, was scroll, like scroll, scroll. It's so easy to just because yep. because the, the, the alternative is you get you the screen reports every week. I've never looked at. I don't know. Yeah, I started looking at them just out of curiosity. And well, like, and, and I don't think I'm on my phone any less. I'm so just, you're doing just doing more other productive things, things yeah. with it. It's interesting because the alternative to entertainment is either is either boredom or mm -hmm. it's it's work. Mm -hmm. It's making your mind work. You know, but but and so it's the easiest one to fall into is if I just pull it up, I'm dude, it's, and I, you know, you try to set rules for yourself. You're like, I don't want to be a victim of this. So I'm just only when I'm on the toilet or, mm -hmm. or only when I'm, you know, and yeah, I, where's your boundaries. Yeah. And I'll say, okay, while I'm in a car, I'm not going to look at it. Sure. And, and, but then over time you find yourself breaking those rules constantly. And I don't know, dude, there was a time I was probably on TikTok for, if you added it up throughout the day, honestly, it must've been two hours. Was it? it had to have been. You know, and, and I'm doing other stuff in the meantime. And, and dude, you know, maybe that sounds bad, but I know for a fact there's people that are looking at TikTok for six or eight hours a day. Well, dude, I mean. Legitimately, it, like, because you can do it nonstop, like, while you're driving, while you're, you know. Yeah. You can do it nonstop. And so so I I just recognized that in myself. I was like, you know, I just have a habit of, like, looking at this stuff. And I was, you know, I would... Not that I was like ignoring phone calls, and but dude, it's an an addiction of sorts. You know, you sure. it could it's the same way you'd think about like, well, I was I would miss this or I wouldn't answer that call because I was doing this, and 
And so, so I recognized that and I was like, done with this. Yeah, next it. I'm done with this, you know? And, and so I got rid of that and I went right back to Instagram. So I just, I just defaulted to the, yeah. the next the next level one on. And I'm like, well, this is better. Like, it's not as, sure. you know, I can, but, but still I would catch my same, same amount of time, same, mm-hmm. just, and it was just, and, uh, so I, and, and they do this on purpose. Like I, I was like, I don't want to get rid of Instagram because of the messages. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like it's, yep. we communicate yep. with people yep. on our guests, you yep. know, for, and I, so I have that set up now, so I still get the messages. Like when people message mm-hmm. our Instagram and stuff, I see that and I can right. go on and respond to it. But I, I haven't, I haven't scrolled through Instagram. I think for three, what has it been? Three weeks. Three weeks, probably. Best thing I've ever done. It's crazy, man. I mean, and I'm so productive on my phone. Now. Well, and that's so. Let's take that for. An I encourage example, that for right? for both of you guys for anything. Yeah. Anybody for, that's listening for your get for your productivity, <clears throat> and it, it's a. Obviously, blessing and a curse, right? Think about how much stuff you can do on your phone on the go. We were just talking about it this morning, right? But think about how much simpler life was before that phone, mm-hmm. before these smartphones. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, I had a flip phone in college, right? I could barely send a fucking text out versus anything. I didn't do shit on my phone. There was no work on my phone. Like, if I had to go back and work, I had to go back to my dorm room or the library or whatever. Yeah. So, Yes, it's enabled. Like, I love the flexibility of even being in a tree stand and talking to a client or whatever it might be. But also, like, there's a level of this thing per even the dinner table. This thing is sitting there Mm 24-7, like, just waiting for me to do some work on it. Mm -hmm. There's an unhealthiness about that. Yeah. Um, Well, that's, that's like, the question is... um, They undoubtedly make you more productive, and I think that's a a huge advantage. Um, the question though is that at what point is does productivity cost you know other aspects of life? Yeah, there's some sort of self restriction aspect, and I've been trying to like, and I'm probably think about it more than I actually do it. But it's like, where could I draw my lines that I could still be productive with my phone doing whatever I need to do, but at certain points, like I don't, because if I if I leave my phone in my truck or here at the office, I have anxiety yeah. when I get home. I'm like, yeah. Like, where's my phone? Forgot yeah. my phone. Well, it's like things are happening. Well, and, and there's and a, it's like, because you, you set that's a precedence. not healthy. Because you set a precedence by answers, as do I. Yeah. People expect, you know, sure. well, Jared always responds within however. And mm-hmm. if I don't, you know, it's like, people are like, where you been? What's, what's wrong? What's going well, it's on? It's so crazy. It's, it's an insecurity. I mean, dude, growing up, I didn't have a phone. Like, I'd be gone, like, until I got to a freaking wall phone. Like, I didn't call anybody. Yeah. And so it's like, <clears throat> how in you know, 20 years, let's say. Yeah. So I graduated high school 20 years ago. How in 20 years have we become so insecure to like, we leave our phone somewhere and we're like, we can't function. Like something's wrong. Yeah. I don't know if it's, it's by a, design. It, I don't think it's an insecurity as much as it is just like it. We, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a tool that's integrated in every portion of our life via communication. Via, Nuts. And we need it. We do need it. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, to I was talking about that we, the other day, like everything's an app. You know, yeah. like yeah. to pay your bills, you do it on your and phone. And that's great. You know, all that stuff is All of your communication good. is here. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff is good. And when I say we need it, you we need it to maintain a level of productivity and, and like a, a, you know, a lifestyle, I guess is not maybe the word, but like we use it for so many right. things, like good things, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know. Do the, the Instagram specifically is what I was talking. And, and it's worse than that in, in the form of TikTok. And like, I'm great. I'm just grateful that people watch our stuff. Sure. And like, I, I do think it's. There's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a cool way to get content. It's yep. absolutely is, you know, but you just have to just be honest with yourself. Moderate. 
be honest with yourself about yeah if, how I just I just I have an addictive personality so what drives mm-hmm. me to start businesses yeah. to want to be the best to to want to bodybuild to bow hunt these mature bucks it's yeah. it's, a, it's a cool quality but it it it's also unhealthy you can get addictive to to bad things too yeah I think that's the big thing is like how do you how do you find ways to utilize the tools at hand but not abuse the tool at hand mm-hmm. like time goes fast especially in today's society like used to be there was only so much shit you could get done in a day because you could only be in one place you could only mail this letter and wait for a response you know that that's just how it was it, it, obviously when I was in you know high school and college I'd email too but like there's only so much shit that you could do now things that were an hour to an hour and a half take 30 seconds mm-hmm. to do and so you're moving at such a fast speed <clears throat> I don't know if most people's brains can handle how fast they're moving. Uh, and I think probably poor decisions are made, not like life-threatening necessarily, but I think poor decisions are made uh, in exchange from that because there's also, like, to the point of productivity, like, there's only so much productive stuff you can do during the day before 5 o'clock comes and you're like, damn, dude, I am exhausted, like mentally exhausted because your brain can only handle so much stuff throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And so... It's weird when you come into this this mindset of how fast things are being accomplished today versus 15, 20 years ago took literally 50, 60 times as long to accomplish. And and a lot of people will say, well, that's efficiency, but also there's a there's a, a kind of a weird where danger does, behind where it. Where does it lead? I, see, I don't think it's so much about like the personal exhaustion as it is the the resource like the world that we live in like uh, it almo- i think it's the relationship side and the communication side you, if you're if you can accomplish certain things in like emails let's say I, i've got five people interested in a property i can sit there for two minutes and write five emails to five different people to get that out versus having five like actual communication type things shaking the hand let me tell you about this property mm-hmm. oh yeah you know and again it's speed of accomplishment versus the personal relationship and, and, you know, social interaction, which is yeah. dead. I mean, social interaction today, people say, well, yeah, you know, I talk to people all the time on TikTok. No, dude, that's not social interaction. Well, I guess what I mean, though, is like, it seems like you get so efficient at some point that the process is almost just like bare, barely happen. Like, like in a sense that like, so, so in selling real estate, it's like, yeah, you can have, so right now we've evolved to the point where I can send those emails every couple minutes mm-hmm. and, and whatever, like, does that get to a point where the people who have really adopted these technologies of like you're saying email, maybe someday it's mm. neuro, whatever the <laughs> yeah, highest evolution reading. of that. It's like these things just happen. They just happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like, uh, I don't know. Do you need an example of, um, well, look at AI. I mean, look at AI, look at, look at, look at uh, in a hunting scenario, you know, you've got things that have dr- like increased the rate of those processes so dramatically that it's created a, an issue for everybody in terms of the resource availability, look at, you know, an Onyx or a hunt stand or a Spartan Forge, you know, th- those tools uh, along with everything else have taken a property or a, uh, you know. Yeah, Cause I'll be I, like, I never went to the courthouse and pulled plat maps and stuff growing yeah. up. I never looked at any of that. Yeah, well, and, and back in the day, you know, that's, that's what you had to do. And it took a lot of time, but, yeah, there, so people didn't but, do there, it, but like the resource me. could really sustain it. It was like, okay, only you know, these guys can only kill, be so efficient you reach a level of efficiency where it's like we can hunt every acre that's ever existed from a map and, and we just drive around and like there's public, there's public, there's public, there's public. That's walk in. Yeah. And we suffer from that in that, in that regard, like that experience is, is dwindling 
and I just I'm I wonder how that applies to just everything else. Hunting's just you know one one example of that. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows <laughs> or, or a Matthews. Yeah, <laughs> one and the same. Yeah. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, th- th- especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I-, I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for, for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea fork of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr- proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and, uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. Um, so per our conversation with Troy and Daryl last mm-hmm. week, <clears throat> I went home. Cause I was like, man, I don't not know what my arrows weigh. I, I was close. It was, it was four, 475 okay. is where I'm at, all in. Mm-hmm. So... Tip to knock. I got a hundred, hundred paint or hundred mm-hmm. pound, uh, hundred grain broadhead on there. Yep. I've been shooting the Rage tripans. We yep. both have hundred grain. Um, I've got that ethics. Yeah, uh, outsert. I think it's like a forty grain sleeve with like a mm-hmm. whatever sixty sixty grain inside. Mm-hmm. And I've got the Victory VAP two fifties. Two fifties fine. So stiff, light, mm-hmm. micro diameter, and you know blazer veins. And I I do when I hunt. Uh, I've got the nocturnals in there. Mm-hmm. F nox, hundred grain, or I'm sorry, uh, four hundred seventy grains total. Uh, and so I we because we were talking about that. Uh, well, we were talking about the the FOC mm-hmm. and like that field point. And and I'm not, you know, I still even per our conversation, like yes, there's a time and place for a fixed blade broadhead, uh, eighty pounds with that arrow setup hunting white tailed deer. I don't think is it. Um, so no, I, I picked up, uh, six of those sever, mm-hmm. uh, hundred, they make 125. Is that still rubber band? It's yeah, it's a rubber band. It's a oh rubber band. God. Um, that's the only downfall there. Why don't you like that? I just have had bad issues with those in the past, like breaking or cutting or yeah. Yeah. I just, I, in a, you know, everybody's got different. I like that rage collar even you know, when it was the actual collar that would fall apart when you got any pressure on it. Yep. I felt like that was better than a rubber band. Yep. Seems like they should be able to advance that one pretty easily. It's a different... Um, I guess it's probably Rage Patents is what it is. Yeah, I don't know. I, in, yeah, I I can see that. That could be a potential weakness of this product. I, I suppose... Because it folds up like a Rage, right? Yep. Looks a lot Rear like deploys. It. So here's some things that I like, you know... I guess let me finish on the arrow first and okay. I'll finish on the broadhead. So I I saw the opportunity and I was like, why, why not? Mm-hmm. Shoot 125 grain. The bro- they, that's one of the broadhead. It's just extra weight up front. His rage does make 125 grain. Correct. Uh, Tri-pin. Uh, so I, and, and I, I want that. Mm-hmm. And I want, so that got me to 500 grain, total arrow weight, 80 pounds. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably significant FOC too. Like huge. 17, 18% maybe. Yeah, it's, it's big. Um, so that's one. Sever makes a 125. Rage doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very similar. They're both rear deploying mm-hmm. um, br- style broadheads. So they meaning they both open like this, mm-hmm. which uh, I is huge Kay. in a broadhead in an expandable at least. 
one issue that I versus have. over the top, which loses a ton of momentum, and it has a deflection mm-hmm. uh, component to it. One issue that I've had with rages is, uh, at least it seems like I've had some blades come close back up. Hmm. Uh, n- not both. Typically, usually it's one or the other. It gets offset and cocked in there. Yeah, and you know, I've I think I've killed almost every deer that I've I've shot them with. So it's not like they're it's not like they're a bad broad. I shot them for years, um, and I and I may uh, who knows I I may sure. shoot them in the future. Um, what one thing what I really like about these severs is that they're both I don't know if they're both titanium, but they both are a very solid mm-hmm. feral. Mm-hmm. There, there's not a lot of risk of bending those over. Uh, the the severs come out and they lock. They can't go back in. Mm. Not only do they lock, they pivot. So if I hit a rib or a bu- you know a, a, a bone that's on one side or the other, mm-hmm. it allows the blades to kind of go around it. Is that locking mechanism create a barb aspect, though, that's illegal in a lot of states? What do you mean, a barb? So, like, if you... No, uh, they they come out like this. So they come out like this, and once they pass a point, they lock in like this. Yeah, but I think that's the barb aspect. That's why like you're able to like fold a lot of rages. Don't go up either. Yeah, they do. They'll fold up, not the whole way, but it won't create a barb to where it can't come out, type of thing. I would assume I don't not. Know. I mean, why would they make them if that's? I don't. Know. I don't know. There's certain. St- I, I don't know. I don't know how every that... states or certain states you can't use a barbed. So remember, what, like, what is a barb? So remember, like, the old um, ram cats that would have the screw. Yeah. So when you tighten that down, you had a fixed blade. But when it hit and it it got loose, those blades would flop up so that it wasn't like I see. barbed I see. in there. It was able to pull out basically. I don't know how that works with the severs. I have to. I, I I've not tried to like push them from the back. I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, I don't know either. And it, I don't know if it's every state. I just know I remember one of those states. Um, it was. But I think I on even the rages once they're deployed. How what happened? I don't know. I have to mess with them. Yeah, but I think it did. It it does. It's not like a complete fold up, um, but it does in some states. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So see, there's and then this is using fixed, but see, flat, flat, flat. That's barbed. Okay. So, because it can't, yeah, I see, can't pivot forward. Rages, I think, do. Yeah, they do. Um, at least according to this, and I don't know how it goes. That did one search. Uh, Kentucky, Illinois, Minnesota, New York, North Dakota, South Dakota. These are states it's illegal in. Mm-hmm. Which ones? Kentucky, Illinois, Minnesota, New York, North Dakota, South Dakota. Okay, so just a handful. The handful. Dakotas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's a interesting point. I'll have to look at that. Yeah, because apparently it's saying, and again, this may be old. Oh, she rage in those states, but it's saying rage three blades are not legal, but two blades are. Okay. Well, whatever I'm shooting, it's getting blown through, so it's kind of a non-issue. But yeah, we, yeah. we want to be legal, obviously. But um, I would assume it's fine because it's a two blade. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would assume it's fine. It is a two blade. So, uh, and I'm shooting the the two inch. So it's a two inch cut. Oh wow! Here. Yeah. What's our tripans? Mm, I think they're inch and a half. Yeah, I think you're right. Or maybe inch and three quarter. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, my hope is that by this by that switch, I've got 
25 more grains up front, that much more increased FOC, that much more total arrow weight, yeah, that much bitter, better, uh, bigger cutting diameter, that much more. I think, in my opinion, solid, uh, solid of a build. It's just, it's just, uh, yeah, if, it's just a little better construction. Well, and again, I mean, the if, rubber band is a potential weakness. Yeah, but I mean, it, it it is what it is. I don't know any other alternatives right now. I think that's a solid build. And, and I mean, if you've got your FOC correct, 500 grains, I mean, that's a hammer of an arrow. Do you see Mick sent those Easton uh, pro comps? I saw you guys going back and forth. Yeah, I was looking at them just from a, from a standpoint. It, it was interesting. And I think a couple people may have called it out on Troy's podcast, too. Um, About that, being overspined. Oh, you can overspine. It, it would allow not no flex, and that arrow needs... Well, what what was the response? Because I, I asked that. I said, "What what's the consequence of being overspined? What was the response? Remember from Troy and those guys, uh-huh. you can't overspine it. That yeah. was their response. Okay. Whereas a lot of people are saying you could because um, that because the the arrow should be able to oscillate and then steady out, and it it wouldn't it wouldn't be able to flex basically. Because mm. I the question then was going to be, well, why don't I just buy the stiffest arrow? Like, why would a brand just not put out the stiffest arrow process? Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm not a bow expert on that. I just rely on whatever everybody else says. Yeah. <laughs> well, so if that's mine, you're probably at, like, what, four? Four fifties. I don't think you're that heavy. I don't think your outserts are as heavy as mine. 62s? 62 grains? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I think I was four fifties. Okay. Well, that's not bad. Uh-uh. I no. guess, yeah, because your arrow overall is a lot heavier. Your FOC is not as much. Correct. Because it's... Yeah, but that's the right move. You're shooting the right arrow. Yep. So I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll figure what out. What kind of speed are you getting out of that arrow? Mm, I don't know. I did buy a chronograph. I have one at home. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to buy a a paper tuner. Yeah. Do some bear <laughs> shaft, bear shaft tuning. Should be bear shafting all night in my garage. <laughs> what you doing out there, bear shafting? <laughs> yeah. This With is who? pretty easy to make. I just got to get some, uh, <laughs> some paper, some roller. Paper. Yeah, roller paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I have a, I have a chronograph at home now. So we drew Kansas. We drew Kansas. Yeah, we're going. Now back. we got to figure out where we're going. Yeah, because we, um, I mean, obviously we've got some spots where we've been going traditionally. Um, you know, last year was was a bad. It just uh, we were spread out a little bit. Um, and public, well, the public, public was, was washed. Our headache. Yeah. So I think we're back to you know a little bit of the drawing boards of like, you know, you know what do we have? What are our options? Um, where can we go? Um, and then uh, we've got a couple of units we're working with there. So we're looking at some some properties and some public and stuff um, a little bit more north of where we were at. You know, in retrospect, we probably would have put in for different units um, if we knew we were going to get drawn, but or if we knew we were going to try to change things up. Yeah. So regardless, we're going. Uh, the question is, are we going to go early season or normal time? Mm. And we don't have an answer to that or yet. Both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have a question or yeah. an answer to that yet. So, but we are going. We're going back. We'll to be there in July, regardless. So we're going to run out for that uh, yep. Whitetail Properties mm-hmm. uh, National Sales Agent Meeting, and we're gonna. That's only two days, so we'll take the next three days to kind of do our summer scouting and yep, see what we can turn up. Yep, and uh, but yeah, we'll be back. We'll be out there June, dude. This is the peak antler growth month. I know. What is it June, July? It's a ninety. It's like by the end of 90, this month, you're gonna have a good idea. Of well, two, so you get ninety-two now, or ninety-three days till the Kentucky opener. Mm. Uh, we also have to get some. How new many days till Kansas? Kansas is the eleventh. Yeah, it's like hundred. September eleventh. We also need to get new bows ordered. We waiting for? 
I don't what know. do you mean we? <laughs> I guess I got to replace the new bow order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna get some get some new Hoyts fired up this year. Excited to convert one of our fellow crossbow friends to a uh, to a Hoyt to a Hoyt. Be, that's happening. That's like a baptismal. Yeah. <laughs> um. It is <laughs> baptismal. <laughs> oh, baptismal moment. Uh, uh I I'm still kind of I don't know when I'll use it. I'm still kind of leaning on my Hoyt recurve a little bit too early in the season. Why not? I'm gonna break that bad boy out here again. Yeah. Start shooting. Yeah. It's June. We've 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 got past the the rough points. It's now June. I, I tell you who could talk you through that. And I told you not to do this before the podcast, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it anyways. Uh, Josh Bomar reached out. Yeah, Josh Bomar did reach out. And uh, all you do is call him out a little bit, I guess. We're working on <laughs> we're working on maybe getting him on here at some point. But if that happens, you know, I'm sure he'd be happy to share share some uh, first time experience behind a recurve bow with you. I, I think know. he's killed some stuff. Bought one of his nose buttons too. There you go. You're getting a little, a little bit of Bomar. It'll be interesting when he comes on. That'll be interesting when he comes on. Maybe teach you how to shoot a 200 incher. I don't know about we that. We can only hope. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. That'll do it for this week, and we'll catch you next week. Later. It's taking me. Oh, it's taking me on down the